0: This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, August 19th, 2022, on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. We're going to begin this Friday with Michael Tilley, who joins me on the phone from his Fort Smith office. Michael, I think you probably liked this cool break in the weather.
1: I'll take it. Uh, for August, you get me somewhere in the 70s and 80s for August, and I'll take it.
0: It's just a little bit cool some of these mornings, but I don't think anyone's complaining. Let's see. Somewhat unexpected to me, the first topic of our conversation this week, the fact that the city of Fort Smith is going to continue to uh, perpetuate is not the right word, but continue the process of this ruling that went against them about recycling. Are you surprised?
1: Um, No, I would like to to say that I am. And I would like to say that I should have been, but if you followed the city of Fort Smith for any period of time, um, odd decisions do not, uh, they no longer surprise. So, but yes, the, um, the city lost, I think we talked about this last week, Yeah, uh, lost the recycling lawsuit. Um, again, by way of background, back in 2017, well, between 2015 and 2017, the city said it was recycling, told its citizens are recycling. Well, turns out 89% to 93% roughly, depending on which numbers you look at, uh, was not being recycled. It was just dumped straight into the landfill. Uh, and it was some of our reporting back in 2017 that, that discovered this. They were just straight up lying about recycling. There's really no other way to say it. And they admitted it and said, yep, you caught us. And so Jennifer Marriott, a citizen filed a class action lawsuit. Long story short, it finally came to a judge, Sebastian County circuit court, Judge Steven Tabor. And he ruled that the city needs to pay just a little over 745,000, um, back to citizens, um, who were paying for recycling and didn't get it. The city, uh, uh, intimated that they would repeal, uh, would appeal that decision and since have. We also learned, we asked them, and they finally got the number back to us that they have spent $189,217 so far on legal fees to defend this. Now, and they're probably going to, that's going to go over $200,000 uh, by the time they go through the appeal process. Um, and they have, I would, Kyle, I would like to be able to explain their. Um, wonky explanation uh, explanation of why they believe judge Tabor erred in his ruling, but I can't, I don't, I cannot follow the logic. It has something to do with the difference between taxes and fees and um, how the law recognizes those. I don't get it. Um, If I was a PR person, one of the things I would have done a long time ago if I was a city Wood said, you're right, we messed up, wrong, we'll do what we can to make it right, and we're going to move on. But they didn't, and now here we go, we're talking about a really bad decision they made, and, and it's generating them a negative publicity again. But So here we go, we're going to spend more on legal fees, and they may end up ultimately have, uh, you know, so if they end up having to pay the, uh, the 745000 and rack up legal fees. This could be a million-dollar hit to the city if that happens. So uh, it's, um, as you said, to to begin the question, it's kind of a mystery. Before
0: the turn of the century, there were more than 31,000 manufacturing jobs in Fort Smith. You and I have talked about it. I think anyone familiar with the city of Fort Smith knows that that number went down. Whirlpool left. There have been some other challenges, but slowly the the manufacturing job numbers have come up and the latest report we have for June shows a slight increase and the numbers are more than 18,000 now. What do we make of this?
1: Yeah, well, it, um, you know, I keep up with this because, you know, we were reporting actively on the manufacturing sector as it, you know, really declined significantly, especially after Whirlpool and a lot of the vendors that support Whirlpool left. So um, it's you know, if we're going to report on it going down, we need to be reporting on it coming back up. And it looks like maybe it has bottomed out, you know, in the past two to three years, and really the pandemic doesn't count, but about the time we thought maybe it had bottomed out, then it would kind of go a little bit lower and plateau again a little bit. But now Kyle, it seems like it, it's kind of set a trend upward. And I hope we're not jinxing it, but, um, Um, as you said, the June jobs number is eighteen thousand four hundred. That's the estimate from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's up fifteen hundred jobs from June of 2021. That's a pretty healthy gain um, in that sector in in the metro area. Um, you know, the monthly average through June uh, is a little over eighteen thousand. That's above uh, the 2021 monthly average of 70, 000, seventeen thousand seventeen thousand two hundred. And well above the 16,800 in 2020, which hopefully is the bottom, that 2020 average hopefully is the bottom um, for the sector. So if 2020 continues the way it is, uh, the the region could be at at or above 18,000 on a monthly average for the first time since 2016. So that's pretty good. Now, mind you, uh, we should remember the peak. For manufacturing jobs in the region was thirty one thousand two hundred. So, and that was in June of nineteen ninety nine. So, unfortunately, we're still forty one percent lower than that peak. But you know, if you're going to get there, you got to start somewhere. So maybe this is maybe this is the beginning of that. And I had a conversation with Tim Allen. He's president and CEO of the Fort Smith Regional Chamber. He's um, obviously he's happy to see it. He's also optimistic. There's, he says there's a lot of projects in the pipeline. He thinks. Uh, you know, barring any surprise in the national economy, he thinks that number will continue to continue to trend higher.
0: Finally, let's talk about the Boys and Girls Club in Fort Smith. There will be a new executive director after uh the current one retires. He's been at the Boys and Girls Club for a while, eh?
1: Yeah, he's been in, well he's been with Boys and Girls Club, the organization for forty three years. Um, yeah. And Jerry Glydewell uh, who joined is- Yes, Jerry Gladwell. I'm sorry. Yes, I guess we should get his name yes. out there. Um he began at Fort Smith in um, uh, 97, um, or excuse me, 1987, um, and so he's been here a while. He is, um, of course, everybody loves Jerry Gladwell, me included. Great guy, perfect for the job. Knows how to politic, glad hand with movers and shakers, but at the same time, you can catch him throwing baseball or football with kids. I mean, he relates on so uh, many levels. So he is stepping down, not a surprise. He's 66. He says he wants to retire while he and his wife still have, you know, the health and, and a, a time to travel. Um, Beth Presley, who's been with ARVEST for a while, she was also first tee director for a while and assistant athletic director at the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith before that. She's been hired um, as Jerry's replacement. Looks like a good hire. She was recruited for that position, and um, so I guess the good news there. I know this is not typically a business or a political story, but a lot of the Fort Smith business community is engaged in supporting that, either on the board or with their finances, and so um, and it has a very big impact uh, on um, a very critical demographic in Fort Smith. So it's good to see that uh, what looks like a good quality leadership change at uh, the boys club boys, and girls club.
0: He's 65. Now he's been with boys and girls club starting with the one in Johnson County for 43 years. He started there right after college and he stayed with boys and girls club through his entire professional career.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, I think that speaks to his, his commitment to the cause. It's not just a job for him. So um he's he's in the club is he is in terms of investments he's been he's been able to generate uh through donations the the improvements in facilities and in programs like they may do this all over the country but it's been pretty remarkable to see what he's done in Fort Smith so good on him
0: michael tilley is with talk business and politics
2: michael thanks so much for your time
1: all right hey as as always i appreciate uh, the
2: opportunity Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum, offering shopping in the original Waltons Five and Dime on the Bentonville Square. WalmartMuseum.com for more information. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo, Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Springdale. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. Details and tickets at CentralArkansasTickets.com.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow, the black-owned NWA Expo will be hosted at Theater Squared in downtown Fayetteville. It's the first time the Expo has been in Fayetteville.
3: What's uh, really great about this Expo is that we're going to be at Theater Squared, right down the street from the KUAF office, so we're really excited about that.
0: This morning... Three of the four organizers of the expo came to the Converse Center for Public Radio. Sierra Polk, the founder of Black Ground Agency, and Black-owned NWA co-founders Jaron Merchant and Jasmine Hudson. They say tomorrow's expo will include an early bird shopping experience with musicians from the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas and complimentary mimosas. And then, a day-long celebration of Black-owned businesses in the region continues.
3: We have activated almost every inch of Theater Squared, okay? So, vendors... Up, down, left, right. And uh, and outside, outdoors as well. So we're going to be in the Spring Street uh, Theater, Theater. Mm -hmm. and we're going to be upstairs in the multipurpose room. We're going to activate in the commons, just all throughout. There's one main, the main stage area. They're uh, getting ready for their next show. Um, But so we won't be in there, but literally everywhere else.
0: The Expo, after the early bird session, is free and open to everybody. Sierra Polk says community is involved Throughout the process, all hands, all hands on deck.
4: All hands on deck because it's it's just us four essentially mm-hmm. with Krista Wilkins of JLK Weddings that is bringing the event to life. But the thing that makes it what it is, is community. So mm-hmm. volunteers, those are most important to help us even run it, the show that day. Mm-hmm. Um, we and definitely sponsors. love that. Yeah. Our sponsors are a huge part yeah. of it. We absolutely could not do any of it without it because in order for us to do this, we need tables. We need tablecloths. We need. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of expenses mm-hmm. to bring the thing to life. Yeah. So the sponsors, the community.
0: Jaron Merchant, a co-founder of Black-Owned NWA, says the Expo is a mix of established businesses and restaurants. Residents interested in finding businesses they may not have known were here.
4: Transplants that come to the area and they want to know, like, where can I get my hair done? Where can I go and pick up hair supplies? Or where can I go see a physician that looks like me? This is a great place to come in and just see what's all available to you within the community. Mm -hmm. And each year it gets bigger and bigger. So it's always cool to see more businesses not only return, but new businesses come in and activate as well.
3: Yeah, and Sierra, you can talk about the networking mixture that we're having on yeah. um, Friday.
4: Yes, so every time that we've done the Expo experience, we always try to collect some type of feedback or survey information from the vendors who participate. And one of the things that they've been asking for is an opportunity to connect with other entrepreneurs that are participating. Because the day of, they're at their booth, they're running the show, it's, they're it's hustling. hustling, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're doing the things to promote their business. So they don't really have the opportunity to network and connect with each other and learn about about the neighbor next door. So we're hosting a mixer just for the vendors so they can discover each other, support mm-hmm. each other, learn about what each other are doing, and ultimately collaborate more and really build that ecosystem as black entrepreneurs in Northwest Arkansas. Um, the, the ecosystem as a whole is pretty robust. Everybody's kind of getting finding their niche in it, but black entrepreneurial ecosystem in Northwest Arkansas is something that's still in development. It's still growing. It's still... We're still... Trying to make sure that the vendors in the area have access to that information and all the resources that are out there. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to bring that to life with this vendor-only mixer as well.
0: And Jasmine Hudson, another co-founder of Black-Owned NWA, says the establishment of the expo is part of a long-term exercise.
3: There is a stat out there where it's projected by 2053, Mm -hmm. the median wealth of the black family will be zero. It's projected to be zero. Um, That was a very staggering stat when we learned about it, and that's what really um, motivated us to start doing the expos. Really, generational wealth comes from ownership, and so how do we make sure that the black business owners um thrive in the area and then also inspire more kind of black people um in the region to start up their own businesses and encourage them to get that level of ownership as well so we can kind of break that uh that trajectory that we're on right now that's a little scary so
4: I'll also add a little bit to that mm-hmm. so right now there's a there's a report that was done that says that in each demographic the dollar that aligns to that demographic circulates for a certain number of time mm-hmm. so in the Asian community their dollar circulates in that community for X amount of time Latino community same thing in the black community the um, estimate is like mm-hmm. less than what six hours mm-hmm. yeah so it doesn't make a full circulation before it leaves the community mm-hmm. Yeah. so with the expo we're hosting this as a way to try and circulate the black dollar within our ecosystem so to speak for at at least more than six hours to try and build up to mm-hmm. keeping that wealth within our communities.
0: Tickets for the early bird session or registration for the free rest of the expo, and they'd like you to register to help organizers prepare a headcount, can be found at the Instagram page for Black Owned NWA or the Facebook page Black Business Directory. Of Northwest Arkansas. You can also search Black-Owned NWA Expo in a search engine. The Black-Owned NWA Expo is tomorrow at Theater Squared in downtown Fayetteville. We talked with Sierra Polk, Jaron Merchant, and Jasmine Hudson this morning. Major sponsors, by the way, for tomorrow's Expo include Outlier, the University of Arkansas Department of Diversity and Inclusion, and Signature Bank. This is is Ozarks at large.
3: Be sure to, um, in our in our bio, so Jay curated this really cool playlist. Um, so it's a Spotify, Black-owned Business Expo playlist, but just think of it as the backyard barbecue, the good vibes union. all around. Yeah. yeah.
0: is Ozarks at Large. Several dozen veterans from across the South and staff from the Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks spent a week together recently training to be drum circle facilitators. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, drum circles are trending at VAs across the country under the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs Whole Health Initiative.
5: Twenty-one veterans NVA VA clinical staff sit in a large circle in a hall on Mount Koya Center, gripping djembes, congas, bells, tambourines, percussion blocks, performing a call and response. This is the fourth day of a week-long drumming circle intensive. The majority of participants have never drummed before. Several veterans, including Jeanette Sylvania, traveled a long distance to participate in the workshop.
3: I came in from the Gulf Coast, from Ocean Springs, Mississippi, uh, from Biloxi, and um, the long drive was worth it because I'm having a great time and meeting some great people, and we're all just sharing, and it's a lot of positive energy and, and healing, and it's not just the drumming, it's the meditation so I'm really enjoying it, it's very
5: therapeutic. Fayetteville veteran Jim Hale is a guitar player, singer, and songwriter with soldiers, songs, and voices. He helped coordinate this training. Playing
6: chords and strumming a guitar is not available to everyone, but I realized that drumming is. Everyone can feel the groove, and for that moment, you escape, and so, Giving giving veterans a chance to escape from what's spinning in their heads and, and exit that for a while, that gives them something to judge how they're doing. They know how they felt when they were in the groove, and they know how they feel when they're all twisted up.
5: Clinical staff with Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks, headquartered in Fayetteville, also enlisted for the Drum Circle training. My name is Jack
7: Gillery. I'm a nurse practitioner from Springfield, Missouri. I work in the CBOC there, and I am here uh, because I'm always looking for an alternative to uh, assist our veterans in pain management, PTSD, mental health, whatever it may be, just to improve quality of life.
8: My name is Leslie Evans. I'm a whole health coach for the Fayetteville VA, and I'm excited about the drumming facilitation group because it's going to offer our veterans a unique uh, healing modality experience.
5: Growing research on the psychological and physical benefits of group drumming reveal it may relieve depression and anxiety, while building social resilience, a result of synchronized group processing, the Drum Circle is a project of the Veterans Health Care System of the Ozarks Whole Health Initiative. I'm
9: Laura Pogue. I'm a nurse. I'm the Whole Health Program Manager. I am the chair of the Vision 16 Whole Health Subcommittee, and all these, all of our VAs in Vision 16, we all talk amongst each other, so I threw it out there to them. I said, I've got 50 seats if you want to come join us. So we have three people from Little Rock, one from Biloxi, and one from, from Jackson who are who are with us, which is awesome how we were able to share all of our, all of our
6: work and, and promote really good things.
5: Pogue brought in drum teacher Trevor Meyer to lead the drum circle facilitator training
6: and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Warrior Beat, and I'm a former Navy corpsman and a lifelong drummer. I actually got my first uh, drum set at the age of four, uh, so I've been drumming now for over 40 years. You know, drumming is a passion of mine. Um, and I founded Warrior Beat in 2016 as a way my, after myself going through a mental health program at the Cleveland VA, um, realizing that veterans, you know, were looking for ways to manage PTSD, anxiety, depression, substance abuse. Um, look for ways to do that. And I knew, I thought drumming was going to be something that would be so well received by my fellow veterans. Um, so when I finished my mental health program, um, again, we're uh, headquartered in Canton, Ohio. And so when I got home, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put together an organization and we're going to take drum therapy to veterans across the country. And so that's what we've been doing since 2016 and the program that you're here with us today is our facilitator training intensive so basically I warrior beat we travel to VA hospitals across the country and we train staff and veteran volunteers how to do drum circles with their veteran groups and so we spend the entire week just learning fundamentals of drumming technique how to set up a drum circle and then how to really facilitate a therapeutic experience through drumming and we also combine elements of mindfulness and meditation into every one of our drum circles as well.
5: Meyer says an increasing number of VAs, including Veterans Healthcare System of the Ozarks, are purchasing inventories of percussion instruments.
6: And the Warrior Beat Facilitators Drum Kit comes with enough drums and percussion to do a drum group of 20 people. You know, so a lot of the larger facilities will buy two of the drum kits, so they'll have 40 drums and percussion instruments and divide them up between departments, you know, and you can kind of pick and choose. And Warrior Beat's been a recreational music partners with Remo um, since we started in 2016. They've been a huge supporter of us, and we're excited to use their drums, you know, exclusively in our work with the VA. Um, So the drums are pre-tuned, all kinds of different tones and timbres available, shakers, cowbells, uh, all included in the kit, which is then easily broken down and transported as well.
5: Trevor Meyer, under contract with the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, travels the country conducting trainings, some of which are live-streamed for veterans and staff who qualify
6: like the prerequisites for our facilitators are that they're VA employees or that they're a veteran who is then going to take and set up community-based drum circles for other veterans as well. Um, But I'll tell you what, no musical experience is necessary. Nobody that's been training with me this week here in Arkansas is a professional drummer. Um, And so it's really more about having the desire, you know, being compassionate, wanting to help people, you know, and just being able to be in front of a group and just keep a very simple rhythm. You know, it's all about the simplicity of the rhythms, you know, adding together to make one big, you know, song as a group.
5: By week's end, 21 facilitators completed training and are now certified to go forth and create more drum circles. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, welcome back.
7: We have to start. I have not heard your full report of your evening with Henry Rollins.
0: Oh, uh, yes. Last week at the Fayetteville Public Library, it it was he was a guest of the library, and I was honored to be asked to... Um, do an interview in front of 600 of his biggest fans, and it was fantastic. He—I would describe him as a very intense sweetheart. He, um, he, he never stops working, and, you know, I met him in the green room about five minutes after five, just to connect. I like to do that when I do these sorts of things. You know, I'm Kyle, you know, anything you want to make sure we cover. And usually then there's just some quiet time before we're introduced to go on stage— he he started talking at five oh five, and he didn't stop till David Johnson, the executive director of the library, came to get us. And it was just mesmerizing to hear him talk about. And he's such a wonderful, nice guy. And he took so much time to sign books. I, yeah, he. It was just a pleasurable experience for me to what ended up being, you know, like spending two hours talking to him.
7: You know, we had a little bit. Our listeners know from last week because Rollins is famous at his talking shows, for using a commonly used word that starts with F, you know. We had a little bit on how many. You tell me none.
0: Zero. In fact, early in our conversation, I don't remember quite how this came up, he was talking about being a, he's not a parent, but talking about parents and whatnot, and he said he cringes if he ever hears parents say that word in front of their children and you know he said they'll they've got a whole life to hear those words don't don't use it in front of them so not only did he not say it he he mentioned that he didn't like and he knew that this was an all ages crowd so yeah so zero
7: i love that though yeah i love that i'm so glad that it was everything that we all hoped it would be
0: i know he's going to be at uh, temple live in fort smith in a couple of weeks and it'll be a different thing he's on stage doing his his monologue his his public speaking but uh it was a wonderful experience, which last is
7: mesmerizing. Yeah, I mean, I've seen his, I've seen his talking show five or six times, and it's wonderful and exhausting, and yeah. yeah. So, don't hesitate to go. I would agree. We're we're going to have a very different kind of lift this week. All right, we're going to have a teeny tiny, slower paced family-friendly, low-key end-of-summer list. I think
0: people are ready because for Because
7: next weekend is crazy! Oh, yeah. Tonight, you've got three choices. Okay. The Shiloh Summer Series is happening at the Ponca Nature Center in Ponca, out in Newton County. It's Newton, right? Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And the speaker is Abby Burnett, who is an author, a historian, a friend of mine, who I love dearly, and a woman who is in the know about all the cemeteries and grave art in Arkansas. And she's gonna talk specifically about cemeteries and grave art along the Buffalo River. 5.30 tonight at the Ponca Nature Center. It's co-hosted by the Shiloh Museum. It's free. Or if you're in Fayetteville, Happy Hour at 6 o'clock at George's is Earl and them for right. 8 bucks, Or at the Rail Yard Live series in Rogers, it's a set called Her Set, Her Sound with one, two, three, four female DJs. And that happens at 8 o'clock, and that's free unless you want to reserve a table, which is $20, and you can do that at railyardlive.com. On Saturday... There's a back to school ice cream social from one o'clock to four o'clock at the Arkansas Missouri Railroad Depot in downtown Springdale. It's eight dollars, and proceeds go to the J. Riley McCarran Transportation Museum. You could conceivably go from there to Fayetteville to the Washington County Historical Society ice cream social that we've all been going to for decades. It's from three to six o'clock at Headquarters House, mm-hmm. and prices for ice cream start at two fifty. Or you can stay in Springdale and wander down to the Core Brewery Tap Room on Lowell Road for a heatwave home brewing competition and wiener dog races, 5 to 8 o'clock, and it's a fundraiser for the Springdale Animal Shelter, so tickets are $35 to $40. Or you can go to the Walton Arts Center for something completely different called Bala A Tale of Kana, which is... Tales of Krishna's life told through music and dance by the R. V. Cultural Foundation.
0: And it's uh, I, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. It depends on your definition of low key, but we're promised that next weekend will be much busier, and you'll come back to tell us.
7: You're going to have to allot some time.
0: Becca Martin-Brown
2: features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society and KUAF present the Anderson Brothers Jazz Trio at the Roots Festival headquarters in Fayetteville, Saturday, August 20th at 7 p.m. Former headliners at Carnegie Hall and Jazz at Lincoln Center, sax and clarinet twin brothers Will and Peter Anderson will be joined by guitarist Adam Mozenia. Digjazz.com for tickets. Washington Regional, once again named the number one hospital in Arkansas by U.S. News & World Report, offers compassionate, high-quality health care to patients through its team of professional caregivers. Continuously growing to meet the changing needs of the community. Washington Regional nationally recognized care here for you. Happy Friday, this is
0: Ozarks at Large. The Fayetteville Roots Festival, one week away. In addition to events happening at the Fayetteville Public Library, the Fayetteville Town Center, and Roots HQ, late night concerts return to George's Majestic Lounge this year. Also returning to Fayetteville next week, singer and performer Maggie Rose. Friday night, she'll perform the late night set at George's. In advance of her show, a week from tonight, Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis reached Maggie via Zoom as she was on her tour in Michigan. Their conversation began with a discussion of her latest album, Have a Seat, which was recorded at the legendary Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama.
10: For me, I had already set my sights on recording at Fame while I was in the midst of writing for that record. And the sanctity of that place, I think makes everyone up their game it's kind of like when you perform at a venue where some of your biggest inspirations have performed you know you want to treat it like with respect aretha franklin stood at this microphone i'm not going to mess it up so that pressure really does wonders for i think everyone's performance and the camaraderie that that room encourages too was just really cool because we had people from my touring band but we also had some of the original Swampers who played on some of those records that came out of there and I think a lot of this material I had written before the pandemic and those themes just became more prevalent because it was about compassion and listening to one another and I felt that those were things that resonated with me even more when we were dealing with the pandemic and just the rhetoric that we were seeing all over the place. So thinking about the spirit of the collaborative energy that happened in the room at Fame when we were able to record it safely before the pandemic ever was a thought on any of our heads, was kind of cool.
11: the sanctity of that space and, you know, some of the spirits that have been there. I mean, I've never been to Fame Studios, but I kind of experienced something similar at Sun Studios in Memphis. Just standing in that room, I could feel the songs and the people who had performed in there. And I don't know, it's just, to me, an experience like that is something that is really hard to compare with.
10: Yeah, I think there's a reason that people go to these places, even when we're based in Nashville, which has arguably some of the best studios in the world, it's still an energy that I was trying to capture at that point in my career. I mean, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, and Wilson Pickett, and all these artists were hugely influential on the type of music that I was writing, so I wanted to go to the source.
11: Now, you mentioned that this record was mostly written before the pandemic. What, what was the driving inspiration behind the songs on this record?
10: I think what was going on politically, how we were talking to each other. I thought there was a lot of darkness uh, around us and the art of listening had become such a rarity that I I wanted to write music that was joyful and inclusive and it was my way of kind of dealing with what I was seeing, especially being someone who gets in front of audiences. I felt like the way... uh, we were just dealing with our fellow man was different and it became a point of uncertainty for me as a performer because I was like all right I thought I knew how people were and more understanding of each other but it just wasn't seeming that way so this music helped me kind of cope with that.
8: You shine a light when I'm lost at sea. You bring out the best in me. Bring out the best in me.
10: I really love them all. I like making albums and not putting together projects that are just a bunch of singles. So I think every song has to complement one another for it to be a cohesive project. I think the song that we chose as a single, which kind of thumbs up thematically the record, most distinctly would be For Your Consideration, which can be about two people in a relationship. It can be about two bigger groups and how they're talking with each other. And I think also just about being an artist who's been around the industry for a long time. Like We should be valuing each other's contributions and realizing that everyone has something unique to offer.
8: Don't worry, baby, it's okay if we disagree Doesn't always go my way, but hey, it keeps us interesting I don't expect you to change Simply take it on the chin Even if we get nowhere I don't care as long as we're trying Wish that I could
11: You took a little pause on releasing this record during the pandemic. Did having a couple years to stew on these songs change the way you feel about them?
10: Luckily I didn't have that long. We finished this tracking process and I released it about a year later. Okay. So I still released it during the pandemic. I just decided to commit to a release date in August and we had been on the road from July to the end of this year and it was extremely difficult but at a certain point you're kind of like I need to give this to the people because songs don't really begin their life until you release them right. so there was a time for me to fall back in love with the music because when the pandemic first began and I had all this material that I was really proud of I kind of I didn't listen to it for a couple months because it was just too painful to even think about the fact that I had put this project together that was never going to see the light of day in the way that I had first anticipated it. But then I started letting myself listen to these songs again and coming to the conclusion that they were more pertinent at that point than they had ever been and said, all right, we're going to release it in August, hell or high water, and then we're going to move on because that's what we do. We keep moving.
11: Was that a little bit uh, nerve-wracking, setting a release date in the sand, you know, considering that at that point we didn't know whether there was going to be another shutdown or if live music was still going to be a possibility? I mean, was was that anxiety inducing?
10: Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was, I think everyone was in a state of survival, and it's crazy how resilient we all are in terms of what we can do. Withstand, And I think at that point we had all become like a little more used to just the tenuous anxiety that we're feeling all the time. And that's just what you do. You have to move forward and there's joy in releasing music, even in the worst of circumstances. And we were all dealing with the same circumstances. I know so many of my friends who are some of the most talented musicians that I've ever met who have been knocked off that path because of what we all dealt with last year. So I felt, tried to be just grateful for the opportunity that I even got to release this album that I loved, even if it was under more challenging conditions than normal. A lot of people aren't getting to do what I'm getting to do, and it's not because they don't have the talent or they don't deserve it.
11: How did you first start singing and making music of your own?
10: Well, thank you for the compliment. I think it's the support from my family. I I don't have anyone musical in my family, and no one would be offended by me saying that. (laughs) But they are very appreciative of my love of singing. I think from a very young age, I realized, oh, when I sing for my parents and my sisters and their friends like this makes people happy and it was just a wonderful positive reinforcement to have at a very very early age and i think the songwriting came when i got connected with a bruce springsteen tribute band which i know is out there in random but (laughs) they are the hardest working band still to this day i believe that to be true they're uh, called the b street band out of jersey and they gave me a platform to sing some secular songs cuz i was singing a lot in the church growing up
5: mm-hmm.
10: and then i started sneaking in my original songs and realizing just, just that being a great singer is fantastic but it's just one small part of the whole equation like you need to be vulnerable and connect with people and you know be willing to fail and dare to suck for many many years before <laughs> you really get good at it. And then that's when I get fun.
11: It's that old adage about putting in 10,000 hours into something before you get really adequate at it, I guess.
10: Absolutely. And I think that people ask me often, like what's the greatest memory or moment of your career? And while there are definitely significant memories and those landmark moments, I think that, People need to remember that it's the boring or more mundane practices in between those big moments, a culmination of all of that that actually makes for a sustainable career. I think social media has kind of messed our perception of that up because we feel like we always need to be performative and look what I'm doing today. And Those days when you're quiet and coming up with song ideas and maybe taking some time for yourself to build up that creativity are just as important.
11: It's funny, you talk about the big shows and the smaller, more mundane things in between. You've played big stages from the Grand Ole Opry, festivals, uh, sharing bills with big, like, internationally touring artists. Does it ever feel strange to go from a big stage like the Opry, then turn around and play to a smaller room of three to 500 people, and then maybe the next week play a big festival? I mean, does that ever shock you?
10: I think you... Can let it be very disorienting, but I just try and remember that we're lucky enough to have a really compelling live show, and I feel like we retain audiences if we engage with them, and no audience is too small, because those people end up being part of our extended family, oftentimes down the road. And some of my most loyal, longtime fans are people that I perform for when we were just at a little club date, and they've stuck with us but I think yeah it can be people don't understand that like the artists making their living it's not from those two hours that you're on stage it's from traveling and loading in your gear loading it out rehearsing like all the not so glamorous moments that are the most rigorous but it's worth it like you'll prepare for 20 hours to play a 90-minute show and you're gonna Hopefully give it your all regardless of how many people are in front of you when that show happens.
8: I got this feeling, got me really going out of my mind, like I'm losing time. There's no good reason to keep me from living my life. I got to simplify
10: and do what I want. Like I'm excited to come back. I do think it's probably been, I'm like trying to remember, I think it's been five or six years and last time I was there, I won an Emmy for an NFL song that I did and my parents were accepting it for me in DC. So we had a big night out in Fayetteville <laughs> celebrating that victory. So I have positive memories of it. We're gonna just top them this
11: time. Hopefully uh, this trip to Fayetteville, you're not foregoing an appearance at any other awards ceremonies.
10: That's the only place I want to be (laughs) Fayetteville But yeah, we're looking forward to it
11: Wonderful, wonderful Well, we're looking forward to having you here in Fayetteville And uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today
10: Thank you Thanks for all your thoughtful questions I'll see you soon
0: That was Maggie Rose speaking with Ozarks at-large's Timothy Dennis last week via Zoom. She will perform next Friday evening, one week from tonight, as part of the Fayetteville Roots Festival late-night set at Georgia's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville. Tickets for that show are $22 in advance, $25 on show day. It begins at 9.30 p.m. You can find more information at FayettevilleRoots.org or at georgesmajesticlounge.com. It's been three years since we were live at Roots Festival for Ozarks at Large. This is a live edition of Ozarks as part of the Fayetteville Roots Festival. But Friday, August 26th, we're back with a live radio show from the Fayetteville Public Library. Musicians at this year's Roots Festival will join us on the library's new event center stage. Join us in person or live right here on the radio for the return of the live Ozarks at Large Roots Festival broadcast. Friday, August 26th, at noon. Thanks. This is Ozarks at Large. It's Friday. It is time to talk about a new movie. Find out whether it is worth our attention. As always, our guide in that endeavor is Courtney Lanning, who's joining me by Zoom. Happy Friday, Courtney.
9: Happy Friday, Kyle. Happy to help you
0: in this endeavor once more. Excellent. Well, you're really going to have to help me out because the movie you're reviewing this week is part of a franchise I've heard about for years, but know almost nothing
9: about. It's definitely one of the more popular franchises, and it's actually kind of old, Kyle. Would you believe that this franchise got its start on TV Mm -hmm. in 1986? I would believe that because
0: I don't know when I first became aware of Dragon Ball Z, but uh, I know it was a long time ago.
9: Just a very brief rundown because, again, there's a lot of history here. I won't dive into all of it. But Dragon Ball is one of the most popular franchises that even if you know nothing about anime, chances are you've at least heard the title. You know something about people screaming and then their hair goes blonde and then their muscles get bigger and right. and the, they fight. That's, that's basically the, the premise for the the layman who knows nothing about the series. The, um, the series started out with an original iteration called Dragon Ball, which was sort of a funny little cute martial arts cartoon about a little kid named Goku who fought enemies with martial arts and, and searched for these, these balls that are called Dragon Balls. And you, gather a bunch of them together, and you can make a wish. The series progressed into something called Dragon Ball Z. Goku's a grown-up now, and now he he's an alien from another planet, and he defends Earth against more powerful aliens that are coming to destroy the planet. They want to fight. And now we progress to the more modern iteration, which came to America in 2015, called Dragon Ball Super, which is still about Goku as an adult and his friends and his allies, trying to defend the Earth from even more powerful aliens that are traveling through the galaxy looking for fights.
0: So if this franchise started in the mid-1980s, there have been many different things, from backpacks to movies to TV shows, I think, to card games. Um, How many movies have there been?
9: You know, I couldn't tell you. I've watched a lot of them. There are probably dozens of movies throughout the whole series from from just the original Dragon Ball to Super, where we are. Um, I will say Dragon Ball Z is the one that really made the series popular. It came to America in 1996. And since then, there's just been tons and tons of movies, some good, some bad. Uh, And this newest one is called Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Uh, This is actually the first Dragon Ball movie since the series debuted in the 80s, to be fully 3D animated instead of 2D animated. So like how Disney and DreamWorks do all of their movies now, this is 3D CG. Uh, and it it handles the transition fine.
0: All right, so here's the challenge, I think. Whether you're talking, uh, when you think of something that has been around for a while, I don't care whether it's Days of Our Lives, the soap opera, Dick Tracy, the comic strip, or, you know, James Bond, there's all this mythology and story building that's been going on for decades, can someone like me just land and understand what's happening?
9: You know, although the premise to Dragon Ball is pretty simple, again, it's pretty much just about people who fight. I don't think that if you're not already a fan of the franchise, you're going to be able to plop down in front of Dragon Ball Super superhero and and just be able to go. For fans who have been a part of the franchise for a long time or have already gotten into it, um, I think they'll enjoy it. You know, it just it boils down to for fans, whether they're going to be able to handle the new art style, because, again, this is the first 3D movie to come out, you know, and and whether they can appreciate some of the more side characters being put into the main spotlight.
0: Uh, And it's in theaters. This is a theatrical release. Yes, it'll be in theaters starting today. All right. The full review is in today's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. There's another there's a there's another movie being released to theaters that has, uh, I think, a lion or a tiger in it.
9: Yes, this is a new Idris Elba film called Beast. He takes his daughters to visit Africa, and while they're on a tour of some sort, a vicious lion starts killing people, and it's just about him trying to survive and get his daughters out okay.
0: I mean, I've seen the trailer. I'm interested.
9: It looks good. I'll be in theaters watching it. Huge Idris Elba fan. Yeah. I, I would watch Idris Elba in anything. I was just re-watching Pacific Rim last night.
0: More superheroes... In our conversation next week with um,
9: sort of a Hollywood icon. Next week, there's a new movie coming to Amazon Prime called Samaritan, in which Sylvester Stallone plays an aged, retired superhero who may have to slide the costume on one more time. And I, I, I did a little research.
0: I mean, Sly Stallone is 75 or 76 years old. And I watched the trailer for this. He looks pretty good. He does. All right. Full review of Dragon Ball Super Superhero in today's Democrat Gazette. Courtney will join us again next week. Courtney, thanks so much.
9: Kyle, thanks for having me. Every night we were out at the jam sessions. You might see Wynton Marsalis, um, Roy Hargrove. So by the time we got out of school, we, we knew a lot of these musicians that we looked up to. I'm Robert Ginsberg, and that's Will
11: Anderson. This Friday on Shades of Jazz, an interview with the Anderson brothers and a healthy dose of their music. They'll be in concert Saturday, August 20th, as part of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society and KUAF's Summer Jazz Concert Series. Shades of
0: Jazz, tonight at 10 on KUAF 91.3, tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Fallsville. Contributors today included Timothy Dennis, Jacqueline Froelich, Michael Tilly, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Our general manager at KUAF is Lee Wood. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellams.